Um, and, and when I look at this place, besides having great brothers like Kalai here, it really is spiritual family for me. I got saved at this church back in 1996. And that's when this church was just two years old. And a few years later, I got to meet uh, Kalai walking through the doors. And it's exciting just to see so many of us teenagers or young adults get saved. And then now we're in full-time ministry. Um, as Pastor Kalai said, the, I'm, I'm the downtown congregation pastor. It's an honor for me to serve as that, to oversee downtown and what God is doing out there. And I've uh, been out there for the last seven years. And one of the things that we've been seeing a lot uh, the last season was there were a lot of the older people getting saved in their 50s. They were inviting friends, like 60s, 70s, coming and bringing people to church. And, and we love all generations. And at, at the time, I'm like, man, I got saved, you know, as a high school student. Pastor Kalai got saved as a college student. And I'm like, where, where is the, the younger people coming? We love the older people. They're worshiping hard. I was like, where's the younger people? We kept praying, and one of the campuses that's near where we meet at the YWCA in downtown across from Iolani Palace is HPU. So we've been praying for HPU, and the semester just kicked off a few weeks ago. We saw one student come, praise God. And then after that, she brought four other students, praise God. I'm not sure how many were, are here this week because I'm here with you all. But last week, there were 10 HPU students worshiping in the second row. Glory to God. So God is doing great things at downtown. And our heart here at Pearlside Church is a heart for all generations. And we really have a big heart and a special place for the next generation. Um, but where does that come from? It starts with family. Without families... For obvious reasons, generations will end. And there is a full-blown assault that is trying to divide families, separate families. And when the things aren't right at home, it's hard for things to be right in society. And so you can see why the enemy would want to tear apart families. And so today, I'm so glad you're here because we get to conclude our series together, Ohana Matters. And because family deeply matters to God. Families are designed by God. Relationships is what God has created us for. So we're going to talk about this issue, continuing off the theme of last week, where we looked at Cain and Abel, and we have the first murder in the history of creation, where Cain murders his brother, Abel. And so now we fast forward, we're in the New Testament today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, and this is Jesus now teaching us. And he's not just talking about the outward action of murder, but he's talking about something deeper that happens in our hearts. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So hopefully, as you're driving here to church today, no one cut you off. And you said in under your, you fool. Because it says here you're in danger of the fire of hell. But that's why God brought you here to get you right. 
to get you right. So verse 23 then says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled. Everyone say reconciled. Be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Let's go ahead and bow our heads as we ask God to open up our hearts to receive his living word. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that the things that we see in scripture are more than just moral principles. It's more than just self-help for us to be better people. But it's your living word that comes in and, and breathes life into dead areas. And it allows us to be transformed into your image. And so we pray, God, that this morning as we continue to receive your living word, may you, Lord, have your perfect work in us as we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you see this idea that Jesus is teaching about reconciliation and how it deeply matters. And many times we have a difficult a time dealing with this subject matter. And so in families, we are called to be unified. We are called to be whole and healthy homes. And a lot of the things that we're going to look at today um, and the stories that I share will be in the context of marriage. And I understand that in a room this size with this many people, there's going to be people that maybe aren't married anymore, have gone through divorce. God can heal all that and redeem all that. Um, maybe you're older, you're empty nesters, or maybe you're young in here, you have yet to be married, or you're just single right now in this season of your life. Uh, nonetheless, the principles, the, even though the stories may not particularly pertain to you, um, the principles and the truth of the Word of God apply to all of us. And so there's things that we can all pull from this. But one thing is for sure, when we look at this idea of reconciliation, the reason why we feel separated from people is because of offense. When people get us angry, we become offended, and in offense, we, we separate ourselves from that person, and reconciliation is the opposite. It's bringing offended people back together. And so here's a truth that we need to realize is that being offended is inevitable. In this life, there are going to be people that offend us, and some of us, we woke up next to them this morning. And we just wake up, it's just like, man, we just started our day and you just offended me. But here's the truth. Staying offended is a choice. Staying offended is a choice. And so as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, I know our main text this morning that we read was from Matthew 5. But a lot of the uh, content and the focus today will be in Ephesians 4. So I just want to encourage us, as Pastor Kalai was talking about reading his Bible, um, that's a great chapter this week to make for your devotional reading as well. Read through the entire Ephesians 4 because there's a lot in there that I won't be able to cover for the sake of time today. But in verse 26 and verse 27, Scripture says this, In your anger do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So there are three concepts here that we just saw in Scripture. The first thing is, in your anger, do not sin. So there is a delineation, there is a difference between getting angry and then staying angry. And because we stay angry, we now fall and are susceptible to sin. So do not, do not let your anger become sin. Do not stay angry. Now that's easier said than done. And I've been married now 
praise God, for 17 years. And one of the, the thank you. you. You shouldn't clap yet, though, because I'm about to say something. You'd be like, I take back that clap. You don't deserve that clap. One of the things that I have done terribly wrong in my 17 years of marriage, and God bless my wife for putting up with me for 17 years, is me getting angry at her for getting angry at me. Okay, that, that is, and I, I know, and now we can laugh about it. Praise God. You know, my wife's not here. Praise God. She's at downtown serving at Kids Church. And um, it seems so illogical to me now that I'm out of the, the war zone. But in the thick of it, in the midst of these tension moments of being angry that she's angry at me, it's very contradictory now that I look back at it. Right? I'm being a hypocrite. If I'm, getting, if I'm getting angry at her for being angry at me, and I'm telling her, stop being angry. Really, I should be saying that to myself. And so in my anger, I stayed in that anger, allowing it to then come forth and affect my relationship with my wife. And I'm not proud to share this with you, but... Um, our, our first major fight was during our honeymoon. Our honeymoon. It's supposed to be a happy time. We're in Fiji. You know, we got blessed with a, a gift for us to be able to fly there. It was so beautiful. Um, I don't know if you guys ever seen a map of Bora Bora. That's where we honeymoon. And it, we, so you think, okay, this environment, it's going to be so great. You know, this is just going to be a time for us to be able to bond as a couple. It's going to be amazing. You know, finally been believing God for a spouse. And I'm married now. Made it. Oh, that was just the beginning. Man, we, we fought the second day, the third day, the fourth day. And it was so sad because it's supposed to be this beautiful time, you know, for us to finally celebrate our marriage. Um, and yet, we were just constantly fighting. And that was one of the main sources of the fight, was me wondering, why are you so angry? Who is this woman that I married? But the funny thing is, she's wondering, who is this man that I married? And so when we go further, it says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And so what scripture is teaching us here is that there should be an urgency. For many of us, we think if we just bury it and we ignore it, that it's going to get better on its own. But that is not the truth. You know, one of the lies that we think in the area of relationships is this lie that time heals all wounds. But not if there's infection in the wound. It's only going to get worse if it's not treated. Uh, I had appendicitis where my appendix uh, literally exploded. Like it, it burst my appendix inside of me. I, I had this pain and I didn't realize what that pain was. And my wife saw me writhing on the couch, and she's like, let me take you to the ER. At that time, um, I did not have, have health insurance. And so I didn't want to go to the ER. Yes, I'm Chinese. And so I, I was like, I can't afford this. And so she's like, no, let me take you. So she finally drags me to the ER. We're in the parking lot, but she couldn't drag me out of the car. She was like, get out of the car. You got to get to the ER. I was like, no, it's going to be too expensive. We sat in the parking lot for over an hour. I kid you not. Sitting in the parking lot wasn't going to heal me of my appendicitis. I needed emergency, an emergency operation quickly. 
And when I got in, the doctors, they ran the x-rays and scans, and they realized and they saw what the, the pain I was experiencing. And they're like, Mr. Ma, it's good that you came in because you could have died if you just continued to wait it out. And so for some of us, we're here, we're thinking, if we just wait this um, conflict out and not do anything about it, if I just ignore it, my, my anger that's now stewed and turned into bitterness and resentment, it's going to be okay. But scripture here contradicts that and says, no, it's not going to be okay. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And here's why. Here's why. Because if we do, verse 27 says, and do not give the devil a foothold. So when we, when we get angry, if we don't deal with it, and we let the sun go down on our anger, and by the way, it's not literal that we're not supposed to let the sun go down on anger. Because right now, you guys are like at the, the 915 service. So it's not like, okay, 915, this guy that took my parking spot in the parking lot, you know, I had my signal on. We're at church, and he stole my spot. That's hypothetical. No one does that here, right? No one steals parking spots because... So sundown today, you're like on your iPhone app looking at the weather. Okay, sun goes down at 6.54. I can be mad at this guy till 6.54. Perfect. I still have a, a lot of hours left to be mad or husbands and wives may be driving to church. Man, it's crazy, right? How many fights happen on the way to church? Why is that? And, and I, I'm, I'm asking seriously for myself because I'm about to preach the word of God and some of the, the worst fights is on the way to church or the night before. So I can't even get sleep because I'm like, oh, oh, my wife, you know. And, and I wake up, hey, good morning, church. It's your pastor. I got to be all joyful and happy. It's so difficult. But, but what happens when we stay in that anger and the reason why scripture is very adamant about not letting the sun go down on our anger, and again, it, it's talking about an urgency. It's because when we stay in our anger, we're giving a foothold to the devil. And I know we don't really use that term foothold, and we're wondering what does foothold mean? Foothold, because um, scripture in Ephesians is written in Greek in the New Testament. The foothold that we see is translated to the word place. Like you established a spare bedroom in your house and you have guests that come and now that guest doesn't want to leave because they feel like they have a place they can always just stay at. That's what we're doing when we stay angry. We think we're punishing that person if I just murder him in my heart. He is dead to me or she is dead to me. And I'm just going to ignore that person. I'm going to let them know how I feel and I'm going to make no effort to reconcile to them. But when we do that and we let that grow into bitterness, it gives a, the devil a place in our lives. See, in our hearts, we have a limited capacity. Only God's heart is unlimited. His heart of love, his heart of grace, his heart of mercy, his heart of peace, long-suffering, kindness, joy. For God, that's, what, that's who he is. It's unlimited. For us, in our hearts... It is a limited space. And if we want our hearts to fill, be filled with love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, patience, but yet we've given place to the devil, the devil is moving in all his stuff like it's public storage. They're like, Satan, you know, like, get that box out of my face. Like, why, why are you putting all this stuff in my heart? And we're wondering why we're having such a hard time 
experiencing joy, peace, patience, kindness, and, and with other relationships, you know, maybe we're bitter at a boss who promised us a promotion but gave it to the other employee instead, and we feel like we're more deserving. Maybe it, in our households, it, we're bitter at a particular person, but then what happens, even if it's outside our homes or within our own homes, everyone else in the home gets affected because of what's happening in our hearts. And so God is saying that if we don't deal with it, we give the devil a foothold. But furthermore, when we talk about why reconciliation seems really difficult for us, because we misconstrue the idea that we have to be, we have to be in agreement to reconcile, and that's not true. Reconciliation is more important than being right. As we go back to our opening text in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This is how serious God takes it. Where it's almost like if, if you maybe live in the farthest remote part of this island, but you love coming to the main campus here, you know, maybe you live out in um, Waimanalo, and, and because of relationships here, you come to this church instead of going to downtown, which is closer to Waimanalo. That's where I'm at. You can come visit. And so you pass downtown. You come all the way here, spent a lot of miles, a lot of gas. And then you're like, oh, man, Matthew 5, I need to go first be reconciled. I remember I have this grievance, you know, between me and this person. And God's saying, leave your gift at the altar. Don't, don't come and worship yet, but make right that relationship. That sounds, it's hard for us to fathom as for those of us who are followers of Christ. Because the thing is, we think, right, that the most important thing is our relationship with God. And that is true. However, then we further this truth and we twist it into something. Well, as long as I'm right with God, even though I'm not right with him or I'm not right with her, that it's okay. And God is saying it's not okay. And this is why. Because as I said earlier, God's capacity to love is who he is. He is not just a loving God that does loving things. He is the source and the epitome of love. God is love. And so if God is love, but then our hearts are filled with bitterness, our hearts are filled with this rage that, that the anger stewed and turned into this resentment. We have now created a barrier between the source of love and where we are at in our bitterness. And so when we choose to stay in bitterness, it directly affects our relationship with God. In fact, in Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 3 this is staggering, husbands. It says that when we are not right with our wives, God doesn't hear our prayers. That is scary to me as a husband. I could, I, I could think, oh, I, I love you, Jesus. I'm serving you, God, even as a minister. But I'm ignoring my wife because of something she said. And I don't talk to her. And, um, you know, this is bad, by the way. Um, I, I, there was a time where after we got married, I didn't talk to my wife for three days. 
Because I, I was thinking, she's wrong, I'm right, right? What she did was wrong. And then how she responded when I confronted her to let her know she's wrong was also wrong. So now you got a lot of wrongs. And so I'm not going to talk to her until she comes and approaches me. Like she needs to come first and grovel. Oh, sorry, dear husband. I didn't realize what I did was so wrong. And so I'm waiting. I'm not talking to her. Little did I know, like she can, she, the standoff, she's really good at it. You know, and don't, don't read into that, okay? Don't read into that. I was just like, wow, she's really not going to talk back to me. Three days, we didn't talk to each other. During those three days, it was hard for me to do my devotions with God. It was so hard for me to enter into the presence of God. And whose fault was it? Is it God's fault? Is it my wife's fault? It was actually my fault. Because I was the one not choosing to be reconciled because I was so adamant about being right. But we need to realize James chapter 4 verse 1 says this. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? It comes from my wife. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> it, comes from, it comes from everybody else when I'm stuck in traffic and they're driving like jerks trying to weave in. Where are you going to go anyways? It comes from those crazy drivers. It comes from all my irritating coworkers, you know, that, that talk way too much and I'm trying to get my work done. It comes from... People that I live with, that they get all up in my stuff and they don't give me space. Where, where does it come from? It comes from other people. It says here in scripture, so where do these fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that make war inside of you. Inside you. So... If you feel like, man, this guy irritates me, she irritates me, I fight with that person a lot, and this one I always get into, who is the common denominator? Who's the common denominator? And so when we look at the truth of Scripture, we realize we need to take heed and pause. Like, what's going on? Why am I always in conflict? And why am I always fighting with other people? Well, that's actually just revealing something that's happening in our hearts. Did I give the devil a foothold? Did I give the devil a place in my life? Or similarly, are there things that we need to first work out inside of me before I try to work out things out of them? Because that's, I'm not God. I'm not called to transform my heart's, my wife's heart. But I can allow God to transform my heart. I can allow God to deal with me instead of me praying, God, deal with her. God, deal with me. In Luke chapter 6, verse 25, there's a similar sentiment that is written in Scripture. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so today, this is a great moment for us to be in the presence of God. Because when we're in the presence of God and we allow, we combine that with the truth and the word of God, there's transformation that can occur within our own hearts. Every one of us. No matter where we are in this spectrum of dealing with anger, forgiveness, because being offended is inevitable, we live in a fallen world. God has given every one, of, uh, every one around us free will. And 
selfish desires happen and get in the way of our agenda, our plans. And so we're going to get offended. But when we get offended, what do we do with it? And here, it's like getting bumped, right? If you, if you get bumped and you're holding, um, I was actually walking with a, a gentleman earlier, and um, he bumped into something and coffee, he was holding hot coffee, it spilled out, but he was fine. He was fine, praise God. And uh, it wasn't in here in the beautiful carpet here, so praise God. <laughs> but, but if our heart is already filled with pride, it's filled with impatience, it's filled with selfishness, it's filled with arrogance, when we get bumped, when, when something happens and someone offends us, what comes, out, what comes out next? Those type of things. That's how we're going to respond. However, if we're in the moment with God and we've been filling ourselves with the things of God and we get bumped, what comes out? It's a difference. Praise, glory comes out. Patience comes out. And again, I know I, I talked a lot about this, uh, about driving, but it's such a, it's, it's a real example for me, and I, I believe it's a real example for you as well. Um, recently, I've just been really in tune with God. Um, I know you're like, you're a pastor. You should be like that all the time. I'm also a human, okay? So it's not always the, 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 the point where I'm overflowing with the Spirit. And um, recently, there's been a bunch of people just cutting us off on the freeway. I don't know why they're in such a hurry. But people are in a hurry now and, and just cutting me off in my minivan with my four kids and my wife. And so being angry, that's okay. Like that, what that person did to endanger the lives of my wife and kids, that's not okay. So I can be angry, but I didn't stay in that anger. And I didn't try to retaliate, cut him off, see how he likes it. Or give him the super honk, right? Because there's the honk, like watch out, like, you know, like the, the beep. And then there's that honk, like, you watch out. You know, like that, that super honk. And so I'm not trying to um, villainize my wife, but, but she's like, honey. Like, she's not used to this new side of me. She's like, honey, why didn't you honk him? Let him know. I was like, honey, adjusting my halo. Honey, with a smile. It's like, did you not, like, see all these road rage incidents? Where do you think it starts? You know, it starts from one person getting cut off and then they try to retaliate by giving them the super honk or telling them they're number one, but not with the, the pointer, you know, the other finger, you're number one. You know, so it's like, oh, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. God bless you. You know, it's like, that's not okay. And um, she's like, wow, like this, this is a different man. Praise God. After all these years, God can still continue to transform hearts. You know, and I'm, I still got a lot to grow. But it's what your heart is full of. And But what your heart is full of, then it says the mouth speaks. And so when we get our hearts right, it starts there. Then we can get our words right. We have to go there first. We have to be in the position to allow God to work out and be like a, a surgeon to cut out the things that do not belong in our lives. It's not us trying to have self-control and like, man, I argue too much. I say these words. What are some better words? And you look in the dictionary. What is the synonym of disgust? You know, like, I'm so disgusted at you. And so we try to figure out different vocabulary or, like, breathing methods. And I'm not against breathing methods. I, I believe they do help. But all that, that's surfacey stuff. The root is the heart. So when we get our heart right with God, now we can get our words right in our relationships. 
And so we need can guard our relationships by guarding our tongue. And James chapter 3 says this, when we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. This is amazing, right? We can dictate where this powerful animal, more powerful than a man, the rider, the, the man and the rider can, can turn because of what's in the mouth of the horse. And then later says, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Man, we, we know about that, the small spark. Sometimes we do something, we think it's like a small thing to us. It may not be a small thing to our spouse. And, and sometimes we're just like, but I just said this, this is what I meant. But then scripture in Ephesians chapter 4, 15 says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So we oftentimes are good at speaking truth. But I wonder how often are we good at speaking the truth in love? Because if I say something offensive to my wife, no wonder she's going to receive it defensively. And so sometimes we think we are right in the pointing this out and the way we say it. But we are wrong because we said it the wrong way. And so it's watching how we speak the truth. But speaking the truth, also you need the whole context because there's so many times where I'm assuming something, my wife's motives and why she did this and why she responded that way. But I'm not asking her questions. I'm just telling her what I think is the truth. And in this day and age, you know, media, like we're looking at stuff. We're like, what is even the truth? Like, I don't know if this is fake news. Is this is real. What propaganda is going on. But in our relationships, we can at least find out before we come. And we're thinking we're just speaking truth about what this person did and why they do it. And we're, we're making all these accusations. Proverbs chapter 18 says this. This is the message translation, so it's pretty raw in the way it says it. But I want us to focus on this translation because I believe it's going to help us, especially those of us who are more stubborn. Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. So when we just come at people and we're just speaking, 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 but we're not asking them, why did you do this? Why do you feel that way? We're being stupid and we're being rude. And then we're wondering why are my relationships unhealthy? And so I'm going to just share some practical things about speaking the truth in love that's really helpful. What is love? Love is being selfless, right? It's not being selfish. Love is about the other person. And this is been transformational for me to to learn this and receive this but years ago from another pastor I, I I learned about the turtle and the skunk turtle and the skunk in marriages oftentimes God puts two people together that are opposites and usually one of them is a skunk and one of them is a turtle and in my marriage I am the skunk 
You know, I'm, I'm pretty verbose. Like, I, I talk a lot, and, and my wife knows exactly how I feel, what I feel, when I feel, all the time. I just, I'm always, like, just saying, you know, like, like a skunk. You, you know, like, the skunk is just spraying stuff everywhere. I'm so angry right now. I'm so frustrated. I'm so tired. You know, it just comes out like this skunk spray. And I look back at the why we fought on our honeymoon. I'll get further into detail. So we're in this resort place, and it's it's everything was just resort, resort, resort. There was there was no civilization. Okay, we're on this tiny little piece of land, and so there was no McDonald's, there was no ABC stores, you know, no no Safeway. So everywhere we went, and I'm I'm just got out of uh, ministry school. And then from before that, college. So I have no savings, right? I just spent it all getting here to Fiji. And everything was $50 and up. Every meal, breakfast, just like some potatoes and eggs. How much? $50. Not for both of us, just for me. Like, oh, I'm, I'm fasting, honey. You know, I'm just so grateful to God bringing me this marriage. I'm fasting today. You, you go eat. You know, and then dinner is like $80, so $150. I'm just like, holy smokes. And by the way, this is 2006, okay? We're not talking about the recent inflation. You're like, everything is $50 now. This is 2006. This is a long time ago. And, um, and so I kept complaining. And I kept just, psh, psh, psh. you know, no wonder. No wonder she was getting so frustrated. No wonder she didn't want to be around me. Because I was, my tongue was the rudder setting the course of where that ship was sailing already. Where that ship of the honeymoon was supposed to sail into bliss, sail into this great moment with my wife. I've set the course with the things that I was saying, dictating the environment of negativity, of bringing doubt, how we're going to pay for this. It's so expensive that we're it, uh, afforded room for her now to be offended. And because she was offended, I was offended. And now we were both offended and we had this divide and separation. But I realize now she's a turtle. So a turtle, when you, when you experience conflict, you, you go into your shell. You need time to process and think. And my wife, she's very much like that. She, she knows the things that are going on here, but she needs time to be able to, to figure out how to say it. And also the emotions here, she needs time for it to settle down so that she can articulate what she's feeling. And here I am forcing her to, to engage in resolution, to reconcile. This is the truth, honey, that scripture says you need to forgive, right? So <laughs> young married men, don't ever tell your wife these two things. Scripture says you need to forgive, so forgive me. You can't forget, for, force forgiveness out of somebody else. Forgive me. And then the other thing, don't ever tell your wife, you need to go pray then. Because you're not hearing God. You don't want to forgive me, go pray. You know. Uh, hopefully no one leaves the church after this. Because this is all, I really have done all these things. And I've learned from it. So please learn from my mistakes. 
I've chased her around their house because I'm the skunk. Honey, come back. We need to work this out. You know, I'm just spraying her and she's in her shell and she locks herself in the room and I'm pounding on the door. Honey, Ephesians 4, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't you see? The sun's setting. I wish someone was like, it's not literal. There's an urgency, yes, but give her time. And so I wasn't speaking the truth in love because I was trying to dictate it in my terms. I needed to understand that she needed time. And here's the amazing thing is that after all these years of marriage, we don't argue and fight the same way. See, arguments in itself is not bad. It's what we do with these arguments. And arguments aren't for us to prove that we are right, but it's to allow the righteousness of God to fill our hearts and bring transformation. But if we remain in pride, like I'm right, she's wrong, or I'm right and he's wrong, then that pride doesn't leave room for God's grace to come and work. And I'm happy and proud to say that 17 years of marriage, and we're going to believe for even more of it, is that now I'm not as skunkish as I used to be, praise God. And neither is my wife as, as much as a turtle because turtles can sound altruistic, right? Like, I don't want to rock the boat. I'm just going to keep quiet. But that's not good either because when we just bury things, we are, again, allowing that to fester and grow. And sometimes my wife turned into a ninja turtle. Like, like, <laughs> like she started hitting back. I was like, sometimes I pushed her so hard. She all of a sudden, like, when, when it comes out, it really comes out. Okay, please, I, I forgot to get permission that I was going to talk about that. So don't, don't tell her I said that. But I'm like, oh, shoot. And I, I become the turtle. Like, oh, no, I should have messed with her. But, but that's why it's not healthy. That's why it's not healthy for turtles to, to just bury it. And then there's a similar thing. Um, sometimes men were the turtles. You know, stoicism is this thinking that if I, if I just bury my emotions and I'm just not going to feel anything. But that's not how God created us to be. We are created in God's image. And throughout scripture, we can distinctly see God is a loving God. He's, he also has emotions, but it's what he does with those emotions that keep him holy. And so similarly, we men, we cannot just be stoics and just feel nothing. Because it affects our relationships and that's what God is about. So... Other, other things that we can look at besides um, recognizing, am I the turtle? Am I the skunk? Is the other person that I'm dealing with, what are they? And that's going to help because it's communicating for them. And then I mentioned earlier the importance of listening and asking questions. The last thing I want to say practically to help us in our conversations and resolving conflict is, is, especially if you're married, right, is to make sure that there is a agreement on words that you use and you don't use. So my wife and I, before we ever got married in premarital, we made an agreement together that we will never bring up the word divorce in, in our fights. Thank God we made that rule because in our numerous uh, arguments that ensued after marriage, in our, after our wedding, uh, There's many times where I thought it, I felt it, I don't know how it's going to work out. This seems like it's irreconcilable. But yet, because I never used it, it really preserved our marriage. 
and vice versa. She would tell me, like, thank God we, we have that in our lives. And there are other words like, let's not ever use always and never. You always, you know, because again, speaking the truth in love, like, that's, that's exaggeration. It's not literally always. Or you never do this. You're, you never apologize first, right? And so don't use always and never in these conversations. And when we talk with one another, we, especially in relationships that have been going on for a long period, we know the other person's weak points. Don't just go in there and pull out like you're, you, like you're playing a card game and this is the power card. Oh, if I use this, I know I'm going to win. Right? Because that doesn't help anybody. When we say it without love, it just destroys the other person, which then destroys our relationship. But ultimately, you know, if we're looking for reconciliation, that's not guaranteed. Because it takes two people to be reconciled. And I, I, I do want to say this and make it clear. If you're in an abusive relationship, we're going to believe for that other person, the abuser, to change and be transformed, to be repentant. But if they don't change, you don't need to get back into that relationship. So I just want to be super clear that this is not a one-size-fits-all type of message. But there is a unique circumstances where reconciliation may not happen. But what is clear and evident in Scripture is that we are always called to forgive. Forgiveness is something that is not conditional, that if that other person changes their life, if that other person comes and asks for forgiveness first, then I will forgive then. A few months ago, Pastor Kalai preached a great message about forgiveness. And, and for the sake of time, I can't go into great details on, on walking through forgiveness, but we will uh, land the plane here. But one of the things he said that was really good is oftentimes when we look at who's at fault in this issue and why there's conflict, you know, if it was based off of a scale of 100, right, we look at that person and they're 98% at fault. They started it, they did this, they did that, and we have this laundry list of things and why they are 98% culpable. But we look at our lives, yeah, I just said this, it's just 2%. And, and Pastor Kali said, but you got to own your 2%. And so what that means is that even though you may feel that other person is more at fault. And again, we've been looking at the context of husbands and wives, right? We look at our spouse and we're like, man, they will never change. They're always like this. And until they ask for forgiveness, I'm not going to come forgive them. And I'm not going to ask for forgiveness. But what is that 2% that we can own? Where am I at fault in this? And so maybe in my situation with my wife, there are times because I was skunking it up, I'm like, honey, I'm so sorry the way I spoke that to you and I pressured you and chased you around the house and pounded the doors. I, I can own up to all of that even though she may have been the one that initiated it. See, because being right is not the point. The point is reconciliation, but it has to start with forgiveness. And in Ephesians chapter 4, Scripture says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, 
brawling and slander along with every form of malice. So picture a cup, a cup that is filled and the cup represents our heart. It's filled with bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. Doesn't belong there. So how can we change that? By replacing it with the things of God. Be kind and compassionate with one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So here's the thing. When we position ourselves in the presence of God and we receive the forgiveness of God, the grace and mercy of God fills our lives. The grace and mercy of God is epitomized through forgiveness. When we receive Jesus' forgiveness on the cross for our sins, it now becomes this cleansing stream filling that muck, that cup that is filled with bitterness, malice, rage, resentment. The holiness of God comes and purifies that. It flushes it out. So it's not just us saying, oh, I just got to be more peaceful person. I just got to deal with my anger. No, we got to position ourselves. It has to start with God. And uh, I was on Instagram um, a few weeks ago, and I saw this chart, and it really hit me hard. It's, it's days until 18. So I'm a father of four, and from the time when your child is first born, there are 6,570 days that you get to spend with your child before they become a legal adult. And then you could see as they get older, your days with them as a household together before maybe they might move out and go out, um, it, it lessens each year by obviously 365 days. Well, I was doing a lot of reflecting recently and because um, I got saved when I was 15 and my daughter's about to be 15. And I was looking at a picture of when she was younger and she was eight years old at the time. Uh, this is Stella. I have four kids, okay? So my son, he didn't get raptured in that chair. I actually forgot where he went in that picture. So I do have a fourth child. Um, but yeah, he didn't, he's invisible in the chair. But uh, my, my oldest daughter, her name is Stella. And uh, she was about eight in that picture right there in the white. Um, she's in the background. And during that period of time, that was a really stressful time for my life. And I remember constantly thinking, man, I don't even know about this, you know, marriage. I don't know how we're going to raise our kids. Like, I had all these questions and doubts. I didn't think all the things that we've been trying to work through our marriage at this point. We've been married for about eight years. I didn't know how we're going to work through it. Is it going to always be like this? Is it always going to be this hard? Is it always going to be this terrible? Like, I, I had all this in my mind while my kids are growing up. Well, let's fast forward to a recent picture I just took with them. And my daughter now, she's still in white in this picture. So that's Stella. She's now 15. She's about to be 15. And she's a sophomore in high school. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. And we were just, you know, in um, Los Angeles and San Francisco. We, we took a road trip up. We drove through UCLA, drove through Stanford because she wanted to see the campuses Again, I, you know, thank God for the honeymoon. I'm like, how am I going to pay for all this? And I didn't do that to her. <laughs> and she, I was asking her, so you're about to graduate in two years. Like, what are, we, what are you going to do? What are you, what are you thinking God's leading you? And she's saying, oh, maybe I'm going to study. I, I, I'm really interested in studying abroad in South Korea. I'm like, 
In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. <laughs> spirit of K-pop, spirit of BTS, leave. <laughs> South Korea, that's so far. And, and the reason why I share this, I know there might be some empty nesters here. There might be some single people here. But this is relevant for all of us is that every moment we stay in bitterness, every moment we allow anger to stew is one less minute that we get to spend with the people that God's called us to love around us. And so we think we're punishing the other person when we stay angry at them. Really, we don't realize that we're hurting ourselves when we're hurting the loved ones around us. And I know, I know some of you, you know, you hear a message like this and you feel like, Pastor, I've tried and I just can't. It seems impossible. Well, the major thing I want us to submit to you is even if it seems impossible, we serve, we worship, and we follow the God that makes all things possible. Because it seemed impossible for God to become man, but yet he did it through the virgin birth. That's impossible. Jesus did it. It seems impossible for anyone to live a perfect life, to never hold on to anger, to be so loving and forgiving. But Jesus, throughout the course of his life, he did the impossible. It seems impossible that there is a God who loves us so much that would sacrifice his own life on the cross to forgive us of our sins. But Jesus made it possible. It seems impossible that someone could die and then three days later resurrect from the grave, proving he is who he says he is. He is God. Because he is God, he makes it possible. So as we come to the Lord's table in communion, some of us right now, we feel like we have some impossible situations in our marriages. We feel like we have some impossible situations in our relationships right now, in our friendships. Maybe it's parents here that have estranged relationships with your child. I got good news for you. That God wants to come in the middle, in the midst of all that anger, in the midst of all that bitterness and all that arguing, and he can make all things new and all things possible.